Hello and welcome to third episode of Data of the Gathering. Today is July 20th, 2016, and I'm your host, Mandeep. And today we are here to talk about things and stuff and internet of these things and stuff. Uh, we are all about connected devices, connected cities, and internet of things today. Uh, we are joined by a very special guest, Arturo Silva, the Global Head of Quantitative Modeling at TE Connectivity. Thank you very much. I'm really glad to be here. So we're, we're legit folks at this point. We actually have a guest from outside. This is amazing. Uh, we have our resident genius of everything and chief data scientist at Antwit, Rajiv. Hi, guys. And we have first time uh, here as well, uh, Par Tucker, who's the client partner for industri uh, the industrial vertical at Antwit. Well, thank you for having me. Looking forward to this. Yeah, uh, so it's going to be a fun little show. Let's, uh, let's get this going. So as always, we'll begin with new topics that are happening around the world uh, that are pertinent to today's uh, main topic of discussion. So uh, unless you're not part of this world, you would have noticed uh, the uh, Japanese uh, company SoftBank bought uh, the chip design manufacturer uh, ARM for $32 billion, which, is, uh, which makes sense. I mean, with that level of patents and that technology, it makes sense. That price tag feels all right. Uh, but this really came out of left field, let's be honest. Uh, so uh, SoftBank had been quiet in their mergers and acquisitions for about three years now, and they had a track record. Once a year, twice a year, they would acquire something, get a, pick up a patent here, pick up a company subsidiary there. Uh, they had been quiet for three years, and you know you would have expected Apple uh, to buy ARM because it's ARM CPUs in their systems, or Google, but hey, this... Uh, Big news, and I think this is definitely going to, uh, this is sure to start some kind of a bidding war in this, uh, in this space. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, it definitely does help that the yen is somewhat strong right now, and the British pound is so low, yeah, right? Yeah. So Brexit did help this happen. So one good thing that came out. Thank you, Boris Johnson. We appreciate it. <laughs> so, 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 just following on that thread, thread though. So, um, you know, this is probably one of the, you know, the most technologically advanced companies that that I've seen, at least in the UK, right? Um, and, and if you look at the history of ARM, um, it, it's been phenomenal, right? The journey that they've taken, um, and it all started out through a, a partnership that they had back um, very early on, right? Um, when they were strapped for cash and they needed to to go focus um, on the future, right? And that's how ARM came about. Um, but I, I do think, um, you know, Brexit played a, a key role in this. And I do see SoftBank sort of acquiring a, a multitude of companies on this whole thing of value chain, right? Um, and, you know, the, the synergies um, across those is probably what their investment play is. Yep, um, makes sense, makes sense. Uh, and the second and last story we have, and we'll get back to you there, would be around something very interesting, and I think this will tie it up very, very well for prime our, uh, us for our conversation coming up. So the Data Protection Watchdog, uh, the Information Cons uh, Commissioner's Office, the ICO, has released a warning for Internet of Things, the entire industry itself, urging everyone to take steps to protect the data. And I, uh, they have been saying... Uh, that, you know, look what happened two years ago when a, a Russian website uh, found a way to hack into CCTVs, baby monitors, webcams located around the world using uh, security vulnerabilities. So, there's, uh, and this is a quote by the commissioner saying, a lack of security when it comes to IoT devices could mean that 
A search engine is used by criminals to locate vulnerable devices, then gain access to them or others on their home network. Uh, Raji, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think this is a continuing concern. <clears throat> I mean, this exists right now as a vulnerability. I mean, cyber hacks and hacks are pretty commonplace now, and lack of privacy due to uh, cyber threats is increasingly common. This is just going to make it even more difficult to track when you have you know, 100 devices in your home connected to the uh, internet rather than maybe a handful of 10 devices that are probably hooked up right now. So yes, and I do think uh, this, at the same time, this is probably also can be viewed as an opportunity for new technology to come in to use security features, build that into the framework for IoT devices to probably make the network a little more robust and uh, prone to uh, uh, hacks basically. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. I mean, specifically, if you think about the potential uh, capabilities of a quantum computer, which can solve these uh, probabilistic problems faster than anything out there, using pseudo random number generators right now for our security systems may not be the best idea. We, we may all need small particle accelerators or magnetometers in our homes to, you know, uh, provide the seed, random seed for uh, key generation. But hey, that would be fun. I would like to have a particle accelerator in my home. That'd be nice. Uh, but, you know, uh, we're briefly just mentioning the news. Now we're going to move on to our main topic. And we have experts in the room on this subject from many different ways. And this should be a fun little uh, uh, gather around today. So, you know, Internet of Things. It's a, it's a loaded term, right? Everybody's been using that, like last week's episode on artificial intelligence, right? Uh, first, you know, uh, can we demystify it, guys, in, in one or two sentences? Uh, uh, you can all chime in. So for the listeners, they can understand what what is the Internet of Things. So, uh, Arthur, why don't you begin? Yeah, absolutely. I do think that uh, there are at least three elements to the Internet of Things. One is uh, the sensors and the actuators, so the physical things that either take inputs or perform actions based on the inputs. Then there's the integration of the information coming from the sensors and the results that, that uh, are output into the actuators. And of course, there's always a set of processes and you could even consider uh, people or, or other systems into this equation. Um, it's, a, it's a complex um, system and I guess complexity is one of the bases of this Internet of Things um, idea. And we also have to consider that um, having multiple uh, devices talking among each other increases complexity, not in a linear fashion, but in an exponential fashion, right? So it's, it's a fun topic. There's, there are a lot of things to discuss there. Nice. Okay. So you would uh, define that as a, a non-linear, exponentially growing uh, network, uh, data network, so that would be the Internet of Things in a nutshell, from your perspective. And adding the yeah. things portion, right? Oh, you, yeah. you need the physical um, yes. uh, inputs and the physical outputs that, um, that actually make this actionable and that uh, make it move beyond the software realm that we're so used to. Right, right. Okay, Par. So I, I think uh, a great, great way to open it up, Arturo, um, the way I always looked at Internet of Things is how do you connect things, right? So it's first to connect, right? Um, once you connect, how do you collect the data, right? So you have these sensors, you have the actuators, 
but how do you connect it? How do you collect that data? And then what do you do in computation, right? Um, the rules, the algorithms that make value and monetize this data that's now available, right? And the Internet of Things just is an enabler to monetize the, the millions of data points we now have in, a, in an ever-connected world. Um, and so whether it be a consumer, a corporation, um, there's different aspects of how to monetize the use of that data um, to make your life simpler, uh, make your corporation run more effective, um, and, um, and it centers around that aspect. That's a good, good business perspective, Rajiv. Yeah, thanks. I think Arturo and Parth covered the broad definition of what Internet of Things are. I think two areas where IoT has really taken off probably faster than others is one is in uh, smart homes. Increasingly, increasingly, you're seeing a lot of companies uh, in the smart home space. You know, Samsung recently acquired Smart Things, uh, and and you can go to your local Home Depot store. You can buy a Wink device that connects to all the devices in your home. So all the lights and uh, all the actuators in your house can be controlled through a central point. So that I think is going to be one of the big uh, drivers of initial IoT implementations. And of course, the second big one I see is smart cities, where a lot of cities are investing in their infrastructure to implement the devices and sensors in their infrastructure network, and lighting sensors and so on, in order to minimize energy costs and optimize performance. So I think if you look at the trends in some of these areas, we may be able to get a grasp of how we can probably use some of those technologies and things that are uh, could be of interest in manufacturing and other spaces. And I do agree with Paz, the, the real value comes in the closed loop control because the sensors are just measurement points. How you take all the data and how you process that and send it and implement a controlled algorithm to really uh, monetize the, uh, monetize the, get value out of the network either by reducing cost, energy costs, or maximizing some value. That's I think going to be the key. Cool, cool. Uh, okay, so uh, you guys, you know, very good segue into the main topic that goes from here. Now that we know what Internet Things is or are, I guess. Uh, so in the world of tomorrow, you know, we're envisioning a completely connected home, workplaces, towns and cities. Uh, in fact, eventually to a global network uh, of everything, right? So today, but we will try to limit our discussion to uh, two points, right? We'll focus on the next manufacturing revolution that we see coming, right? It is the connected plant, which leads to the second thing, which is a connected city. Because connected plant is like a small city where we, we, we start developing this technology and then that helps feed the perfection of a connected city. So we'll focus on the following two topics on this, right? Uh, what, according to you gentlemen, are the benefits challenges and interesting solutions to the the next generation the next connected plant in the city and who are the in the in the fight between now intel and arm right because those two are the ones that have stand to gain uh, a lot because they're the ones providing the processor the heart of all these things so what way do you stand on that in those uh, amongst those fight between those two giants and who do you think will win so um Let's get going. Arturo? Um, it's a difficult question. Um, I think it's difficult because my vision is a little bit swayed by my background. As you mentioned, I work for TE Connectivity. And we do see these as a sensors game. And you're absolutely right. 
the the heart of all these things uh, lies on on the um, algorithms, the the um, models that would allow action coming from the information on the sensors, and just looking at the sensors um, at the sensors themselves is uh, it uh, is a complex, very complex complex endeavor. Thinking beyond that and looking into how things are going to be processed and how things are going to be assimilated uh, makes it even more difficult. I know I'm stalling to to uh, to give some some additional thought to to your question, but I do think that uh, both of these companies have um, are going to be winners in in this space, and they are going to be uh, necessary. We won't have enough processing power for the deluge of data that is going to be coming. That's my perception. Uh, that's, wow, that's a very bold statement. I think uh, I, would, I would agree with you. That is a lot of data coming in. So, Paul, are you who wants to go next? Sure, sure. Let me let me just follow up on that. I, I think the, the biggest challenge I face, and it, it sort of stems to the who's going to win here, I, I think everyone wins in this case, right? So the processing power that's needed to you know, handle the data that's going to be generated um, is is exponential, right? Um, you're, you're going to start seeing things that we haven't seen before. Edge computing is, is going to be the new way forward, and that is rightly so. It's taking the sensors, doing the computation, the algorithms, the models, and doing it as close to the edge as possible. Um, so you're not sending, you know, trillions of terabytes of data back to a cloud or a central node um, to do heavy processing, right? I think that's that's one of the key uh, paths forward that I see both in, you know, smart cities, uh, smart plants, connected right. plants. Um, and so if you, if you take a step back and you look at, you know, the digital factory, right, how it started, right? It was on the premise that I can connect these five things inside a plant network and I can generate insight on predictive maintenance, uh, remaining useful life, um, all around uh, increasing overall efficiency and use of, of the of the the plant hardware, right? Um, and that has brought firms, you know, to to point X. I would say now, how do you go beyond value to point X, right? It's then bringing in additional correlation items, right? External factors that are outside the four walls of the plant. It could be time of day. It could be temperature. Um, there's you know, I, I would call a multitude of external variables, right? And the ability to compute things at the edge and do a control loop in real time is where you're going to see the real value, right? Um, and that that's my um, thought process and perspective on that. Cool. Rajiv? I don't have an answer to your question. I instead have a, another question that I want to throw to the group here. Mm -hmm. Love this. <clears throat> what I'm interested in seeing is... Uh, you know, one of the ways, like Arturo said, the sensors is a big play here. There are, they're going to be literally going to be, uh, you know, TE being one of the big players there, literally going to be dozens of companies, hundreds of companies building sensors. <clears throat> and <clears throat> what is would be interesting to watch is whether the protocol that controls these sensors and these uh, devices, how open source it's going to be. Are we going to see uh, a situation like we see in app development in cell phones where there's an open source platform like Android and there's a much more closed environment like the iOS. So will we see a combination of that or will we see rather see a much more open interface which is publicly defined which will really enable innovation much faster? 
if you look at where we are, it's a lot more closer to the iOS space because I'm just going by the, what I've seen in the smart homes. Uh, all the devices have their own gateways. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, there is an effort to be able to control some of these devices through some common protocols, but still for the large, for, for the most part, you buy a device from one IoT vendor, you have to buy all your devices from the same IoT vendor today. So <clears throat> that may be a good thing or a bad thing, uh, but I think you may see a combination. I, I'm just curious to s know what the rest of the group here thinks and uh, where they see this evolving in terms of an interface of being able to control these devices. Man, Rajiv's raising the stakes over here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so let, me, let me kick this off. Um, so, so I personally have had experience. I uh, dabbled in connecting my home um, so I can control my temperature, turn on lights, know when someone opens the front door, et cetera, et cetera, right? And I, I searched long and hard to, to find something that was interoperable across all these different um, protocols that are available. Um, I didn't find one, right? So Rajiv, to mention your point, right? Um, so there are the iOS-like protocols and manufacturers, and then there's the open source ones. Um, I think as you go down in the future, um, the protocol will become commoditized. I, I think that's the only way um, IoT will really take off. Um, and that's my perspective. Um, there, there still may be in, in, you know, specific applications of things, um, but unless you get to that bare bones commodity level communication, um, we can't really get to, you know, in a connected world, so to say. Right? Hmm. And, and that's an excellent point uh, because uh, it becomes an elegant solution to a problem where stakes are higher, right? As, as you were saying, Mandeep, iOS versus Android is one thing, but when you need to make a decision for a whole factory, or a traffic control system for a whole city, investments are not to be taken lightly. So uh, the protocols and the and the systems that need to to um, be implemented in these cases definitely are, are going to be paramount uh, in the minds of the decision makers. Very good. Yeah, I mean, going uh, even though I'm the host, I'll I'll like to jump into this because this is interesting. So going back to the, our news story about the warning from the uh, commissioner, right, the information commissioner. So, well, uh, one thing, right off the bat, if we go open source, then you uh, raise a question of uh, uh, privacy again and data security. Yeah, I mean, even though it's a separate, it's a separate podcast by itself, right? Uh, even a separate series by itself. But I think, uh, to your point, Rajiv, the future of these things would have to be decentralization of protocol and not not centralization in some way that or even though you have like a, a silly party like the base module protocol that you take and we expect the future generations to know more about coding more about programming that you take the base protocol you modify it to your desires and no protocol from outside world can come into your home or from an outside competitor come into your a manufacturing plant and do anything, right? So I think for the for the private institutions that might be a better solution, right? So I mean, like for example, if you build a one protocol to rule them all, like iOS has, right? Why was Apple so adamant in not giving FBI a tool to unlock every iPhone? Well, that's because that is a master key to every phone that exists out there, and there is no difference between one iPhone and another. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that, that is just, I don't, like you said, we will not know till we see how this evolves. 
I do think there's one more aspect of IoT which I find interesting, which is uh, if you look at the companies that are investing heavily in IoT, it's companies like Facebook and Google, for example, right? So, uh, which are more into social networking. So, how the social networks inter interact with the IoT devices is also going to become key for us because, um, you know, in the, in the real extreme, I've seen some demos from Ericsson, for example, where the IoT devices have their own Facebook page, right? So essentially, um, you're interacting with the devices through apps on your social network. So when you're near your home, your microwave turns on and you have your food ready, right? So, uh, so those are the kind of applications that can become really commonplace if a social network uh, like Facebook, for example, where you know if you're planning a party, then you know, your fridge orders the drinks for you ahead of time. Right? So, so things like that, where the devices themselves interact with you, not just as a standalone device, but more on a, on a social level. So that's an interesting trend. I think that's my belief why Facebook and those companies are investing heavily in, um, uh, especially Facebook and the uh, IoT, and even have a lot of blogs on social network, social network of things is yeah. what they're calling it. So, uh, so that should be an interesting trend to watch. Uh, may not be directly applicable for plant automation, but if you could build an app on Facebook to control devices, it's a lot easier. That could be one way to break the uh, the interface issue where you know if Facebook wants to build apps, it's going to make sure that the apps interoperate with a lot of off-the-shelf devices. Then the power goes to those, uh, so then the protocol becomes a commodity, like uh, Parth was saying. Wow. I mean, I don't know if I want to see the social network of things. Uh, the fridge will start <laughs> posting the pictures of his plug. I don't know, man. But uh, no, that's a very good point on, on a serious note. What do, you, what do you guys think about that point in particular? The social network of things where you stop interacting with your devices is your devices interacting with you in some way where they let you know in some cases, like for example, hey, you see you uh, planning a party. It's like the Microsoft paperclip, but more creepy. It's like you're playing a party. Do you want to order drinks? It's a challenging vision for our for for a world where actually the the devices are the ones that initiate conversations, right? And um, as as Rajiv was was mentioning in, in his example, um, getting getting um, a device to anticipate your needs is something that we are not um, prepared for, I guess, in in our current. Um, vision of the world. I don't, I don't know what would happen. I, I know that uh, the way that we interact would, would change as it has changed with uh, social networking uh, among people. Um, what, what I did want to comment is that whenever um, there, there's such level of complexity, there are unexpected ways in which things start interacting uh, among them and with us, right? So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, new ways of, of interaction would just arise uh, based on on um, the complexity, this newer complexity of things. To to give a, to ground this in a in a simple example, uh, people originally thought that um, mobile uh, devices would be used for business applications, right? They they would never. Uh, consider that people would be taking selfies or catching Pokemons with, with them, and apparently, 
Well, no, that's a very good point. Uh, when I was a kid, there was a Nokia 6600 phone that was launched. I think it was like 11, 11 years old at that point. And it was a really cool phone. I'm like, man, I want that. And the, and the entire uh, commercial for that phone was a, a, a young uh, professional who's basically showing people Excel and uh, PowerPoints on his phone. <laughs> And, and that was how they were marketing the Nokia 6600. I thought it was pretty cool. But you're right, how we market things very differently. So very, very good point. So part, uh, So I think we've all mentioned very, very interesting uh, uh, benefits here. We've talk, we have talked about solutions here. But one thing that I, I would like, last thing I would not touch upon is, is the challenges, the, the, the future that you see. What is the biggest hindrance to get to the future in, in your eyes? So anyone can take this first. Let me kick it off. Um, I, you know, I, I spoke about it briefly, uh, the challenges on really the com computational power and the amount of data um, that, that's present today. And then, I, I, and Arturo touched upon a, on a great topic here, on, on what the interaction is, right, um, between those devices and between the data. Um, so, so if you look today, um, you know, having your fridge tell you you need more beer in your in your fridge for a party that's on your social network is something that you can't fathom. But we've been trained to see uh, the light on our car saying, "Hey, you need an oil change," um, or we've seen the, you know, a beep on on our smoke detector saying, "Hey, you got to change my battery." Right. Um, so over a period of time, I, I think the interaction will get smoother. It, it right. hasn't been defined yet. Um, but, you know, how do you deal with more data and more complexity and more computations required to get to that interaction? And I see that as the biggest challenge. Yeah, I agree. The data is the biggest challenge. Yeah. Uh, and I think the other biggest challenge, which is somewhat a little creepy for me, is uh, how these, uh, when you come to self-driving cars and the cars, we just had one of the, one of the first accidents with self-driving cars and things like that gonna, are become, going to become more commonplace where Devices will take autonomous action and result in some error, and now how do you address that at a social level? That I think is a big challenge going forward. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, it, it's definitely a, um, a big problem to to tackle getting getting uh, to control this very very uh, large system, right? We're expecting everything to be connected, and um, when things are um, connected that way something is going to be prone to, to error. And we see that in our cars today, right? Uh, it's a marvel of science how uh, thousands of pieces come together and they kind of take us from point A to point B uh, somewhat safely. But um, when, when you are looking not into thousands or hundreds of thousands, but billions of different things uh, being around you and being connected, I do wonder um, what's going to happen and what implications uh, are going to exist when um, a part of the system fails. Yeah, you know, I mean, very, very good points. I'll just add this to this, right? So, as somebody who loves cars, right, uh, the new the replacement for the Infiniti G thirty five, which is a performance sedan, is a new Q fifty. The Infiniti Q fifty is the very first car that has no physical linkage between the steering wheel and the wheels. Nothing. Drive-by-wire. It's, it's drive-by-wire, right? Oh. And being in computers and you know, doing data science algorithms every, you know, day in, day out, 
our operating systems freeze every now and then, right? Uh, a simple uh, server connection. I know you have backups for these things, but what, what happens when uh, your computer has been, uh, you know, uh, it, it have water in it? It doesn't work anymore. The car should still be able to function. So the 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 idea of uh, there being uh, there being no fail saves is what uh, really worries me. And I think the biggest challenge is a, a social a change in the society itself, right? Where we convince people that hey, by the way, you know your iPhone freezing all the time. It's not gonna cause your fridge to I don't know set fire to itself or something like that, or uh, or or your car to uh, you know all of a sudden start trying to drive off a cliff. So I think the biggest challenge is going to be fail safe, convincing people that stuff is safe. Mm -hmm. uh, you know that I think is um, and and that yeah. that takes us back to uh, Rajib's original point about security, right? Yeah. Um, getting uh, getting the risk or addressing the risk of uh, someone maliciously uh, forcing a device to set fire to itself or uh, to cause an explosion is very different than a virus just spreading from computer to computer. Well, I mean, I would argue it may not be that because virus is a piece of malicious code and I think this is similar to that. Nowadays, if you have a virus on a computer, well, you can't do your work. Uh, if you have a virus in your car, that's a little more problematic. Yeah, that sounds so, more risky. And and in all honesty, like my car has a 180 gig hard drive and it's got a processor and it's got USB ports all over. And I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm like, huh? If I if I if somebody knew the firmware of this entire system, they could really mess with this stuff. So, yeah. But I think yeah. That's true. There's a 20 gallon gas tank though that could explode anytime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know, look, I drive diesel. You can't reset really fire to diesel that easily. So that's why I'm safe. But I think we can do a whole separate episode, and maybe we should, on the security and the social implications of it and other things. The one other thing which I have a question for Arturo is, yeah. he brought up a point where you have your devices like cell phones, they do so, so much more than we originally envisioned them to, right? So it's, DZC is similar, uh, being from TE, what's, what, what is, what's your view on how the way sensors are going to be integrated, where... Are you going to have a super sensor that can detect like a million different things and, uh, you know, we're increasingly seeing integration in everything else. So I anticipate that was going to happen in the IoT space as well, especially for sensors. So is that, uh, uh, what's what's, give us some insight into what, you know, what you see at TE and how that might impact some of the things we do. Well, absolutely. That, that's a, a very... Um interesting question because obviously we have a vested interest as, as the into into it i'm not speaking uh for the company now i'm only speaking from for myself in terms of what um my impression is on this i do see integration of sensors at some level but i also do see multiplicity and um repetition of sensors across multiple multiple spaces probably that's also a solution for uh the fail safe uh, problem that we were discussing about. Maybe we won't have a second or a third backup system as in planes. We would have 20, 100 different sensors measuring the same thing. Yeah. And, and when I say different sensors, is sensors in different uh, sections of a system measuring the same thing. And maybe we would, ha we would solve um, part of, of the failsafe problem that way. Right. Um, bottom line, I would love to see a hundred different sensors in, in everything. Uh. Oh, absolutely. Well, 
on that very uh, sense-filled note, I think we'll uh, we'll call it uh, an episode here. And uh, please join us uh, next time for more riveting discussions, important issues, fun issues, or just plain issues. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you yeah. for having us. Thank you very much. Wow.